Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life podcast. My name is Lisa and I'm super excited to talk to another guest today, Andrea Nicholson. She is a specialist when it comes to helping people optimize their metabolism, their gut health, and just generally living healthier lives. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here today. It's my absolute pleasure, and I look forward to digging into how people can optimize their general well-being through get gut health strategies, through better metabolism, and so on, because that is something that many of our listeners and clients um, really are looking into, or especially if they're struggling with like, hey, why am I not losing weight? I'm doing quote unquote, everything right. <laughs> and still, I'm not seeing the results. Is this kind of your general um, clientele as well, or a lot of people that come to you that feel that way? Yeah, I definitely see a wide variety of people, but there's a common thread, um, especially when it comes to digestive issues, which can be really wide, you know, that can be mm -hmm indigestion or the diarrhea constipation kind of picture bloating is super common just being gassy those kinds of things but i also see a bunch of people who end up having digestive issues they don't know about because mm -hmm. they don't realize that gut health is the foundation of pretty much every other health condition and so even if you're not having digestive symptoms it does not mean you don't have a gut health issue so i pretty much focus on gut health regardless of why people come with to me but I do see a lot of digestive issues. I love that you started with that because I do think that there is more and more research emerging also about that gut brain connection, that mental health issues are more and more being related back to gut health issues as well, or at least, you know, being a contributor there. So I'm very much looking forward to digging into that as well. But first of all, um, if you would like to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm a board certified holistic nutritionist, and I specialize in all the gut health issues. So a lot of the digestive stuff, I also do a lot with blood sugar because that's another hidden one that a lot of people don't realize that they don't have great blood sugar management. It's not just about diabetes. That's obviously the most obvious, you know, blood sugar imbalance, but there's a lot of stuff. Um, I have a virtual practice based out of Colorado. So I work with people from all over, um, whether you live here near me or not, my practice is entirely virtual. Um, and I do a lot of uh, functional testing with people so that we can really establish that, you know, baseline and then have specific measurable things that we're working towards. In addition to the things that you just want to see in your life, you know, what do you want to be feeling all of those kinds of things. So we pair the the hard scientific data with the subjective, you know, how you feel and, and really try to get you to that ideal health. I love it. And your podcast is titled Holistic Health Bites, which I really, that really caught my eye because, well, A, holistic. <laughs> we like that holistic approach. And as we were just alluding to, everything is linked from gut health to mental well being to seeing the aesthetic results that you're after. And um, then the second word, health, obviously, um, very much into that because even if people are looking for aesthetic results, we still don't want to be feeling like crap. 
crap <laughs> if we're looking amazing um, and bites that just gives me kind of the um, notion of practical takeaways as well so people if you are not familiar with Andrea's podcast please go and check it out the holistic health bites podcast otherwise on Instagram you can find her on healthy life with Andrea just to get to know her a little bit more and I think that has coaching links as well in case um, anyone is interested in working with her but um, I want to backpedal into that gut health um, that we touched on earlier already so I'm curious to hear what are some of the most common things that you see amongst your clients. You already said bloating would be the biggest one. So what does that often come back to? Because most of the time we we just think um, maybe it was dairy that I had. That's, a, you know, people think like, oh, I'm bloated, I had dairy or I'm bloated, I had um, X, Y, Z, but it's not always that straightforward. What is your experience with that? Yeah, I think there's a huge variety of reasons why people have digestive issues of any kind or really symptoms of any kind, even if they're not digestive related. So yes, it could be as simple as you're consuming a food that your body doesn't agree with or can't digest. So maybe you do have an intolerance to something like dairy or gluten or soy or you know something like that. Maybe you're just eating inflammatory foods in general. You know, if you're not eating real foods, if you're eating those artificially sweetened or artificially colored, you know, all of those things can cause bloating because they're not real food. So that's the first level is really look hard at the foods you are consuming and see if you can find a food trigger. Cause that, that absolutely could be true. The, the deeper stuff that can happen is where this is why I love functional testing, because you can have the same symptoms come from someone who say doesn't have enough microbes in their gut who's really depleted in the microbial profile, doesn't have enough diversity, doesn't have enough overall bacteria, can also come from having the wrong kinds of bacteria. Maybe you have you know, an overgrowth of a bad bacteria. Maybe you have a parasite. There's all of these different things that can go wrong. Maybe you're lacking in digestive enzymes. So you're not properly able to break down your foods. If you have whole foods kind of stuck in your system because your body doesn't have the raw materials to break them down, you can't eliminate them properly because now you've got this undigested food kind of stewing in your system. But you can also end up with bacterial overgrowths from those large food particles. You can end up with leaky gut where you have food actually making it into your bloodstream without being properly broken down. And if you're not breaking it down, you don't have those building blocks that you need to make enzymes and hormones and muscle and bone and neurotransmitters and immune cells and all of the things that we need those vital nutrients from our food for. So that, there's a lot of different reasons that you might feel bloated or you might have a particular symptom. And so I think it's really important to try to figure out what your unique cause is. I really think that that is such a good point. Unfortunately, with gut health, like with most things in nutrition, I have found that it is just so incredibly individual. And so it's so hard for people to really figure out what works for them because they just think, okay, um, I'm having digestive issues. I need to eat more fiber. But then it might turn out that you're somebody who does not do well with a high fiber diet. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have someone who has um, digestive issues and you could be, or, or, or who's absolutely fine with, I don't know, 60 grams of fiber per day. It is completely different. So we cannot standardize and say, 
everyone needs to eat X amount of vegetables or needs to eat a ton of cruciferous vegetables every single day. It is really often coming down to trial and error. And um, I think oftentimes also observation, which is of course the first step and it sounds so straightforward and so simple but many times this is where people don't they don't even start there you know if you have something completely different to eat every single day it's going to be really difficult to pinpoint which one of those foods is or if you are resistant to even just keeping a food diary us as coaches we're going to be struggling <laughs> figuring out what it is so that in my opinion is often the first place to start and um, I'm curious if you do take a lot of uh, your clients through an elimination diet and if so do you have a particular go-to um, or does it depend on the symptoms yeah, it, it definitely does depend. And I 100% agree with everything you just said, that it's very individualized. We have to really take a good hard look at those things. And we also have to be aware of the fact that these things don't change overnight. Mm -hmm. So you can't just like eliminate dairy for a day and be like, nope, I don't feel any better. Like, no, the, this stuff is, your body is complex. It is an mm -hmm. ecosystem and it takes time to really see these changes. So you kind of have to just commit to sticking with it for a while before you're going to have any answers. And like you said, there's a million variables. It can be really difficult to narrow it down. So generally speaking, if I have someone who is just really struggling to figure out what their triggers are, of course we can go to some testing, but we can also just, like you said, test out different foods. And so I generally like to start with evaluating what they're currently eating. And if there's something that they eat a lot of, well, that, that falls under kind of one of the major categories of sensitivities or you know, bloating issues. Let's start with that. Let's start with maybe cutting down on the thing that you're eating a lot of, or we can go with, let's pick the lowest hanging fruit. Maybe something that you're like, I could totally give that up and it, that would be easy. So I think we kind of have to work with each individual client to figure it out. If they're like, I need results immediately, then they're going to be more willing to maybe do the harder things. But someone else who's like, yeah, I really just don't like this symptom. And it'd be great if it was gone okay, well then maybe we go with the lowest hanging fruit. And so we kind of just work together to figure out what that plan is and decide together how extreme we go, how fast we go, what we start with, all of those things. I love that. Nothing worse than being told by someone you need to do X, Y, Z, but it doesn't, you can't practically implement it into right. your life at your current stage of life. And I, I, yes, I'm, I'm definitely on the same page and I have taken people through low FODMAP diets, for instance, um, but also some more extreme diets. For instance, I had a client coming to me and she said, I've literally tried everything. I don't know what to do. I was like, well, if if you tried everything, you would <laughs> you would have found a solution. Um, but anyway, we did we actually did a carnivore diet for some time. And like people who are uh recurring listeners will know that that is not something that I generally advocate for, but it can be a good starting point as an elimination diet. Um, and she did really, really well with it. But the same point here, you can just say like, I'm going to do car carnivore for a day or two and then reintroduce foods. You're not giving your body enough time. The same with the low FODMAP. Uh, I would usually say minimum is probably, you know, a week or two of strict also not you have 
quote unquote half-assing those kind of things, but really, mm -hmm. you know, being strict with that. And um, but then on other sides, it might be um like you alluded to, a very low-hanging fruit, just as um you're consuming a ton of artificial sweeteners or um 500 grams of cruciferous vegetables raw right before bed. <laughs> Um, yes. Okay. Your poor digestive system. This might probably might be the reason why. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I I totally get that. Um. But have you found that these gut health issues more often than not are also connected with weight loss issues? Or they certainly can be. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are entire classes of bacteria that they are learning about now that actually break down the food in kind of a different way and they help you absorb more calories. Oh, interesting. So eating, okay. eating the same diet, if you have these particular microbes, you're actually absorbing more of those calories, which can cause you to gain weight. And then there's other classes of bacteria that can actually cause you to kind of use those calories. They burn energy or they generate heat, which wastes energy, which means mm -hmm. you don't absorb those calories. So yeah, there's huge correlations with specific gut health issues and sometimes these microbes that directly yeah. relate to weight loss, weight gain, weight maintenance, energy, all of these things are directly related to gut health for sure. Now, are you someone who recommends um, probiotics or prebiotics or just generally any kind of supplementation for let's just say majority of, of of clients that you have or do you start somewhere else I think it depends on the client um I do think a lot of people do need microbes they've they've seen from hundreds of studies that oh, most of us are pretty depleted in microbes just from toxin exposure and poor diets and high stress and not enough sleep and you know all the things that we do to ourselves every single day most people could benefit from adding good bacteria back in and really supporting that whole digestive terrain for the bacteria to thrive on. But I do think that like the prebiotics, I mean, you can certainly take supplements for that, but really what that is, is different fibers and different, yeah. you know, polyphenols and those kinds of things that can be really great for the microbes to, to feed on. But a lot of times you can also get that from your diet. So I think it depends you know, this is another one of those where it's individualized. Some yeah. people really don't handle those specific kinds of fiber very well. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the prebiotic supplements will actually make them feel worse. Some people feel amazing and that's exactly what they need. So I think this is just another one of those areas where we have to be okay with trying different things and finding that sweet spot for you. Totally. Absolutely. I, I did recently see a study on probiotics on fermented foods and so on and unfortunately they didn't really I mean they they showed that there was a huge improvement in just general gut microbiome um, health I guess from consuming those but mostly at high quantities such as like four servings per day and I was thinking to myself who in the world eats four servings of pro of <laughs> you know, kimchi, sauerkraut and right. per day, like as awesome as it sounds. And I'm for one, someone who is very, you know, mindful of that. And I do like and enjoy probiotic food, foods, but for servings, that is a lot of sauerkraut. 
I cannot <laughs> so yeah sometimes we might ha- want to help out a little bit more and I, I I'm generally in that camp when it comes to supplementation you know like f- f- fish oil and things like that when people always ask hey can I get that from whole foods alone I'm like yeah you probably can but you know how consistently do you actually eat two to three times per week a good quality fatty fish, et cetera. And and, and that's just one Mm -hmm. example. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think supplements can be really beneficial for those things that either you're like, oh, I really just don't like that food or I can't afford that food because that can definitely be true, especially with seafood. Yeah, there's there's some of those things. And not that supplements are necessarily cheap because if you want good quality, they're expensive. They really are. If you want good quality that's been tested, that you know exactly what's in it, it's pure, it doesn't have contaminants you're going to want to get high quality, good supplements, and they're going to be more expensive. So that's not necessarily a cheap option, but it's probably cheaper than, you know, some of the high quality seafood and stuff. Um, So I think there's definitely great benefit in adding supplements, but I think we need to be strategic about it. I don't think there's any benefit in just, you know, loading up on multivitamins and these generic gunshot style supplements. I think they really should be targeted and specific to things that you're lacking in things that maybe your body doesn't process as well. And maybe you've seen like on a blood test that you need more vitamin B12. Okay. Well, you can be very specific with that. Then you don't necessarily need to take a, you know, a boatload of other things, just guessing. So I think we, we just really need to be strategic about it. Yes. And like you um, alluded to also, um, retesting that on a regular basis or just simply rethinking that on a regular basis because your lifestyle right now might be completely different than two years ago or even a month ago you might be traveling and then supplements can be really really handy to get your micronutrients and um or you might be way more stressed right now or not and so on so that's that's such a good point just retesting and reevaluating on a regular basis i'm curious how often do you communicate with your clients or do you often also have clients that are just one-off they they, they want to have a one-off consult and send you lab work and that's it I generally work in uh packages um I don't think anybody really gets anywhere in one session they, they I just don't couldn't and agree. I think as much as you may believe that you're on the right track and you're doing all the things and you just have a couple questions that ends up not being true I I'm currently working with a client that I would have actually agreed. I would have thought he, he knows it all. He's he, like, you said, he's already doing carnivore cause he's got IBS and he was going to the most extreme, you know, example of elimination, trying to figure out what he could do to fix this IBS. He was following like a million online experts that are really good that I completely agree with their opinions on. And it was like, yeah, I kind of, at the, th- at the beginning thought, he's not going to need that much support. He just really wants the testing. And he's actually been one of the people I've talked to the most. Interesting. Because it's just, it's not that simple. Yes. He already knows how to evaluate foods. He already knows how to read labels. He already knows a lot about like just nutrition science and how to evaluate certain foods. He still needs a lot of support. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes even when we know what we should be doing, having an outside perspective can show you blind spots. You didn't even know you had a, a third party can ask you questions. You didn't even know were questions. There are things we don't know that we don't know. <laughs> and having that expert in your back pocket 
or even just someone who knows as much as you. I mean, a lot of our colleagues hire coaches themselves. Yep. Yep. I I, I completely changed my own health working with someone else. Yep. So I, I just have found I've had, you know, I've done it all. I've done one-off sessions. I've done quick things. I've done longer things. And the, the one-off things just don't, they don't work. People don't get the results. Then they're not happy. I don't feel fulfilled because I didn't make a difference in their lives. Like it just doesn't work. So I typically work in most commonly six month packages. Mm-hmm. And as far as how often it really depends on the client. A lot of times there's more meetings up front when we're really addressing, you know, lab tests and new data and kind of getting to know each other and tweaking and making a lot of modifications. And then it generally gets less frequent as we're just sort of writing it out and we, we aren't making so many changes, but it really, I leave it up to the client as far as how often we really meet. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I think a big point there is also um, accountability and um not basically having that continuance on going going forward and so essentially you know you know someone is going to ask Andrea is going to ask in a month hey um how how did you implement this and that or in a week's time or however um, frequently you talk to someone I think that is really really a big point and then also um sometimes you don't want to do all that thinking work on your own do you agree with that sorry are you still here yeah, absolutely. I I 100% agree with all of that. I think just having someone that you're checking in with regularly really does keep you on track. Yep, yep. And absolutely. It, this stuff can be difficult. It can be lonely. It can be difficult, especially when the people in your life aren't doing the same thing. Oh, yes. Having yep. someone else that understands what you're doing, that mm-hmm. supports what you're doing, mm-hmm. that can commiserate with you when it's hard because this can be hard. Yep. And yes. and that can talk you through those times when you're like, now I feel worse. Well, knowing that that's normal, you're going to have days as bacteria are dying off or as your body's adjusting to a new plan or whatever that looks like, you're going to have days that you feel worse. That's exactly. normal. And, and I think in those on those days, then not making any knee jerk reactions and saying, oh, this isn't working because one day I'm feeling terrible. That's so often what what I experience. And then having someone where you that you can text or email or, you know, call and be like, is this normal that I'm having? I'm getting worse before it's getting better. And you as a coach, you can be like, yes, actually, quite often, that is exactly what we almost want and want to happen yeah <laughs> so you know um no i think a really really good point um i wanted to dig a little bit more into that side where uh, you said you also specialize on metabolism or me- metabolic health um i would love for you to just give a few pointers that you normally touch on with your clients when it comes to optimizing their metabolism, because I know most of our listeners, that is what they're after. They know that if they have a better metabolism, they're going to be able to eat more, um, you know, burn more in, in, in general, or simply optimize um, whether it is things like muscle growth or, or fat burning and just, yeah, body composition, I guess. Yeah. I think metabolism is so much more than we sort of give it credit for. Most Mm -hmm. of us just think that's how many calories we burn every day. And so we're, you know, matching this calorie in and calories out equation, but it's so much more metabolism is officially every chemical reaction in your body. Mm -hmm. So this is you making hormones. This is you making muscle. This is you burning fat. This is you building fat. 
This is detox. This is all of those things, all the chemical reactions that are occurring in your body all day, every day. And the vast majority of the energy that we burn every day has nothing to do with exercise or movement. Yep. It has nothing to do with anything you directly control. That may sound defeating, but it's actually not. So if I you're feeding that's a great point because it 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 just it's I think it's liberating as opposed to thinking I need to exercise every single day in order right. to, to be able to eat. <laughs> right. Yeah. You cannot outrun your fork. You cannot outrun the rest of your lifestyle. Exercise is a great component, but it really has nothing to do with the amount of calories that you're burning. It has nothing to do with weight loss, really. It has to do with strength and mental health and detox and so many other amazing benefits. But we also have to pair in quality sleep mm. and stress loads and stress management techniques. We also have to be eating the right foods and on the right schedule. We've gotten into this society of snacking and of constantly being fed. And one of the biggest drivers of just kind of tapping into where your metabolism is, is really knowing, are you even hungry? Mm -hmm. We are so incredibly fed in most of the, you know, kind of Western societies or modern societies. We don't even really know when we're physically truly hungry because we're never truly hungry. We're always fed. And so we need to kind of get back into really feeling our real body sensations eating real food, not eating all these fake and diet foods and artificial ingredients, getting back in touch with what we really need, how much we need, how often we need it, you know, just understanding when you need to sleep more instead of just always running on empty, yeah. really getting back in touch with those signals. And I think when we're more in touch with what our body is actually doing, then our metabolisms are naturally working better. And so we're making hormones properly. We're detoxing properly. We're making all of these things in our bodies that we need to make and get rid of and clean house and rebuild and all the things that our bodies need to do. And so we just kind of need to get back to nature, get back to what our bodies were really designed to eat and do. Really, really good point. So firstly, the, the calm aspect, I think that you mentioned that is such a big point because in, in a rushed state, in a distracted state, it is incredibly difficult to actually even just listen to your body or, or hear your, your body's cues. Um, when we're, when we're stressed, when we want to emotionally eat and we think we're hungry, often it is the, um, The other aspects such as bringing down the stress levels or distracting ourselves or keeping ourselves entertained, et cetera. So when people sometimes ask me, does intuitive eating work? I say, yes, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, also depends what for, what does it work for? You know, not always necessarily for, for weight loss, but does it quote unquote work? But I, um, and you need to preface this by saying you need to teach your body that though, again, because in our modern society, just naturally, you're not going to know how to do that anymore. We have all these highly palatable foods around. We have alcohol. We have constant access to food. So if you just, quote unquote, intuitively eat, you're going to probably want to snack all the time. You're probably mm -hmm. going to want to have 
more to eat when you have had a couple of glasses of alcohol you are going to like all these kinds of things and we're so out of tune with our body that we need to recalibrate that first if that intuitive aspect is something that you're trying to get back at and and it's hardly ever going to work for weight loss in my opinion just because that kind of negates that whole definition of intuitive eating but overall it is it can be a good strategy for weight maintenance for a healthy eating pattern etc if we learn how to do that properly again for sure um so yes how do you start with someone though if if their metabolism is wrong and you have you know explained all of that which you just said to me um what is a homework I guess for lack of a better word word that you would give them and just say okay until we talk next time I want you to focus on these five things whatever it might be yeah so at the beginning I really want to evaluate what they're eating and if there's any of those kind of artificial hyper palatable foods any of those kinds of things let's get rid of those first let's get mm -hmm. back to eating real food first really reading labels, reading ingredient lists, paying attention to all of the things that you're taking into your body. That's kind of the first stage. And then I would say, let's try to eliminate snacking as much as possible. And let's get back to eating real meals. Mm -hmm. And with that, eating in a good way. So we're sitting down, we're in a mm -hmm. calm state. We're eating slowly. We're chewing thoroughly. Like all of these good habits, instead of eating in the car, eating in a meeting, eating on the run, all of those things, your body can't digest properly when you're in that stressed out state. And while that might not feel like stress, being distracted is a stress. Your brain can't do that many things at one time. And mm -hmm. so it does whatever it has to do for survival. And really in, you're that's not it. <laughs> Digestion is not survival in that moment. Driving your car is survival in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so we need to kind of get back to, you know, normal eating behaviors. I find that a lot of people actually do really well with their metabolisms when they eat just less often in general, mm -hmm. not just getting back to meals, but when you're really in touch with true physical hunger, maybe you're not actually hungry three times a day. Maybe you're hungry twice a day. And maybe that's not at traditional meal times. Are you okay with that? Now there's obviously the whole social side of that as well. When you want to eat with your family or those kinds of things. And we have to kind of make concessions around those things. I'm not asking anyone to give up eating with their family because there's tremendous other benefits to doing those things. So you certainly take all of this in context with your life, but if you're single or if your whole family is kind of on this board, you know, if it's just you and a partner, explore where it makes sense for you. Maybe you're a breakfast, lunch person. Maybe you're a lunch dinner person, you know, like whatever that looks like for you, just be open to it. Be open yep. to finding those great things for your body. And then lastly, I would say one of the best simple things you can do when you're done eating, go for a walk. Mm, doesn't it. have to be a speed walk. Doesn't have to be a five mile walk. Walk around the block. Mm -hmm. Just go for a walk something really simple. I think that's a really easy thing that can lower your blood sugar. So underrated. Yes. Help your digestion. It's, it's just such a simple thing that makes such a huge difference. Super cool tip. I love that one. I love, I mean, generally 
whole back to whole foods, let's say at least 80, 90% of your diet, love it. Um, proper meals as opposed to constant snacking. That is a point that I do want to um, touch on again, because uh, many of the people that come to me as well, they'll basically snack all day, feeling like they don't really eat. A, these calories add up. B, you're constantly like your blood sugar is just all over the place, as you as you mentioned. Um, see, most of the time these foods are often of lower quality. You know, it might be like a bite here, a piece of toast there, and then a protein bar over here. And like instead of actually just filling up your plate with some decent vegetables, maybe good quality carbs and protein, and then feeling satiated and stopping. And that is also something that'll teach people to to stop when they're actually satiated as opposed to always feeling like you want more and then you know keep it on, on going or uh, other times um, people really really under eat throughout the day and then they come home and have these huge cravings and just eat everything inside and those are really two big issues in my opinion when it comes to yes blood sugar but also just food quality like literally everything and not at the least the relationship with food that is just not healthy neither the constant snacking nor the total restriction throughout the entire day and then eating anything inside um so i think that that that's a really good point like finding the right frequency of meals for you that's not to say that snacks cannot be part of a diet in my opinion um it, it totally depends on energy requirements like you said lifestyle is a big one if you are constantly on the go all day long you should still be having you know whether maybe a smoothie on the way to work or um, in between like something if you can notice your energy levels drop etc um, but still like find what works for you experiment a little bit um, so I really really like that and the walks as well it can be such a great habit um, with you with your family with your spouse spouse or whatever after your dinner you know you've done the dishes and then like you said just around around the block like people that have a dog are usually great at that <laughs> So I, I I wish anyone else who doesn't have a dog um, would just get into that habit also because you would you would you know make the effort to take your dog out for 10 15 minutes and even if it's just for the fresh air or not just right away sit down in front of the couch and become a couch and 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 basically um yeah hinder your your metabolism from doing it's it's very best so love these three takeaways um you mentioned that that walk is also great for blood sugar regulation maybe you can explain that a little bit yeah. So our blood sugar obviously goes up when we eat and how high it goes up is totally dependent on what you ate. Mm. And there's a little bit of bio-individuality here as well. So some people, two people could eat the exact same thing and one would have a really big spike and one won't. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. You know, there's insulin sensitivity, there's genetic differences, there's, you know, how active you are throughout the day. There's how, what order of foods you're eating in, you know, do you eat the carbs first or the protein first or the vegetables first, or, you know, there's all kinds of different things that play into that. So diet is obviously a big part of that and eating, you know, the lower sugar foods can make a big difference. But I think one of the best ways to lower that blood sugar impact is exercise. And the reason for that is rather than storing the sugar or converting the sugar to fat or any of those kinds of things, 
if you go for a walk or do any kind of exercise, you're opening your muscles to Mm -hmm. use that sugar right away. And so it goes straight from your digestion and gets burned as energy. Mm -hmm. And so you're not adding to any of your storage systems. And so it literally is taking the blood right out of your system or the sugar right out of your blood system. And so that just naturally lowers your blood sugar. So this is important, even if you don't have diabetes or, you know, any diagnosed blood sugar dysregulation issues, this is a big one for everyone because anything you're not burning is getting stored. Yeah. And um, I think many people might not necessarily think of like, oh, walk is not, that's not going to burn a ton of calories or I'm, I don't feel like I'm exercising, but still it's about that, that signal. Are you sending your body the signal? Okay. Now it's time to rest and just chill and store the energy, or now it's time to utilize. And that can even be that signal. It can be as low as just, as just a walk. Um, uh, You also said something about the sequence of, um, foods that we eat. I think that's a really good thing to touch on as well. Would you like to explain that for us? Yeah, there's some research that shows that depending on what order you eat your foods in has a huge impact on how quickly certain components get digested. And so if you eat either like non-starchy vegetables or proteins and fats before you eat starchier carbs, that slows down the digestion of those starchier carbs. And it slows down and reduces the overall blood sugar spike that you get. So just making that change alone can kind of still give you a little bit of ability to eat those starchier carbs. Now, this does not mean you eat a steak and then you can have a whole plate of pasta. Like this is still not the excuse to eat whatever you want. But if, if you were to have say a chicken breast and a side salad and some pasta, if you ate them in either the salad first and then the protein and then the pasta or the protein, the salad, and then the pasta, either way with the pasta at the very end, you'll have a lower blood sugar spike. And you can very clearly see how this works with something like a continuous glucose monitor, where you're literally monitoring what your blood sugar is doing minute after minute after minute, you can evaluate how certain foods work in your body. And you can see how just changing the order of what you're eating can make a huge difference. Now, obviously you don't need to worry about this eating order. If you're not eating those starchy carbs to begin with and just sticking to the non-starchy carbs, but how often is that going to work for most people? Most of us are going to have potatoes or rice or, you know, these things at least sometimes. And so kind of knowing these little tricks can make a big difference. That's such a good trick. I have found that particularly to be true when it comes to breakfast, breaking that fast when our, when we're most sensitive for that. Um, And I think for clients, it has made a big difference when it comes to their cravings and energy levels throughout the day. It will make a world of a difference if you just have like as breaking that fast, um, again, just a piece of toast or, you know, cereal on its own, or whether you have, you know, eggs and maybe some vegetables, and then you complement that with a piece of toast um, or low fat Greek yogurt and complement your cereal or, you know, whatever else you might have in the morning. So I think that that breaking of the fast is the most um, important point in time. But like you said, you can also utilize that as a different strategy 
or just generally strategy, I feel like it makes you satiated, feel satiated quicker than if you start with those simple carbs. So, you know, you eat your vegetables and your protein first, you're more likely to have less of that pasta of the rice than if you started with that. And that's why I usually caution people of that bread basket when they eat out. <laughs> I say, you can have a slice of bread. I would highly, highly encourage you to have something else first though, and then have a piece of bread because otherwise before you know it, that bread basket is empty and you're still feeling hungry. You're not going to notice that you even ate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely avoid eating what they call naked carbs. So mm -hmm. carbs all by themselves without fat, without protein. That, that is such a good term. I'm going to, I'm going to run with that. That's good. Yeah, so that would apply to a piece of bread that would apply to a piece of fruit. Mm -hmm. any of those yeah. things don't eat carbs naked eat them mm -hmm. with or after eating fats and proteins really good point well thank you so much andrea i have very much appreciated um all your input here uh, is there anything before we wrap this up that you'd like to give our listeners as advice uh, any last words of wisdom yeah i would just say you know be your own best advocate it may feel like you have tried everything, but like you said earlier, you haven't, or you would have found the answer. So mm -hmm. keep digging, keep fighting, keep sticking with things. Even when it maybe doesn't feel like it's working, keep, keep researching, keep finding the answers. And, you know, I would really consider working with someone because mm -hmm. you'll get there that much faster. 100%. Thank you so, so much. And again, you can find um, Andrea on Instagram with at Healthy Life with Andrea and also just her podcast, Holistic Health Bites, highly recommended. So thank you for your time, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I have really enjoyed this today. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.